Hello, and welcome to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast where I talk to memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. I'm Ron Hogan, and my guest today is Ellen Stimson. She is the author of Mud Season. It's published by the Countryman Press, and the subtitle here is How One Woman's Dream of Moving to Vermont, Raising Children, Chickens and Sheep, and Running the Old Country Store pretty much led to one calamity after another. <laughs> and it does exactly what it says on the tin, so we're going to be talking to her about that now. I so, think it's the longest subtitle on record. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's start at the beginning. What prompted you to move, where, I guess, where were you moving from mm. that you chucked it all and decided to go to Vermont? We lived in the city of St. Louis before moving to the mountains of Vermont. We were on vacation with our kids, playing that game that you sometimes play on vacation. What would it be like if we lived here? And our daughter said, you know, why do we always do this? Could we we really live anywhere? And because her mother is a bit of an overreactor, I said yes, and the next thing you knew, we were en route to Vermont. How long did it take you to find a place? To, uh, to once you were like, okay, what, how did you zero in a little bit closer than Vermont? Yeah, right. Actually, we picked a town that we'd never been to. Um, we'd vacationed in other parts of the state. So a choice of a school and the choice of a grocer really for us jo- drove the choice of a town. There had to be a great grocer, and there aren't so many in Vermont. There are more now, but, you know, teeny tiny little towns without a lot of grocers. And there had to be a great school. Our oldest son had just graduated from high school and was headed to college. And our little one was easy, but our middle daughter was just starting high school. That's a tough time to move. So we looked at high schools around the state, chose a high school, and that drove the choice of a town for us. What was your background that made you think that running like a country star would be. <laughs> Nothing. I had no background that should have ever made me think running a country store was a good idea. Um, remember that thing I said about her mother being an overreactor? Well, this was a great overreaction, too. I walked into the country store, one of perhaps the most charming, beautiful country stores in America, with these beautiful, gleaming wood counters and these big jars of licorice and candy and a charming little bell that rang above the door. And, you know, I'm an overreactor. The next thing you know, I bought the store. And if that sounds a little bit like I bought the farm, it was pretty close. One of the things that you write about in here is that although you fell in love with the store as it was, like, right then and there, you wanted to make it your own. You wanted to put your own touches on it. On the other hand, everybody else in this town liked the store the way it was. Mm. I, the, the problem, I think, was that I thought I was buying a tourist attraction. You know, my exp- I was still really very much a tourist, even though we had moved there. That's what I had been for the longest time there, and that was sort of my experience. So I thought I was buying something like the Vermont Country Store, which is a tourist attraction. And the locals thought I was buying a grocery store, and our opinions just really didn't match. I did things like bring in these wonderful alpaca socks from a little farm not far up the road. And these were pretty socks. I mean, let me tell you, they were beautiful. They were purple. They were patterned. They were local. I spent $3,000 on these damn socks, so I decided that I should be able to put them wherever I want. Well, I put them in the front of the store, and I moved the bread. I only moved the bread five feet, but these folks had been buying their bread there for a long time, and they wanted it just where it had always been. And one thing led to another. Before you knew it, there was a bread boycott, and folks weren't coming in until I moved the bread back. Oh, I was in really far over my head. (laughs) Now, Vermont has a reputation of being, you know, let's say at least a little friendlier than, say, it's not like you were moving to Maine. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what was the reaction like from the townsfolk as you were 
coming in. Yeah. Well, let me just say that if you're thinking about moving to Vermont, it is very friendly, and I love it. I still live there. But if you're thinking about buying the town monument, I could maybe give you some tips. Some of the folks were lovely to us, of course, and they just saw us as these goofy newcomers who were just making one silly mistake after another. The guys who worked in the town, there are these folks who come in from all around and do landscaping and carpentry and all of that to the second homeowners. Those people were wonderful to us. They really sort of kept us in business while we tried to figure out what to do with the mess that I was making. And some of the locals were pretty frustrated with us. My husband joked the other day, do you really think writing a book is going to make it better? Where did the impetus to write the book come from after everything that was going on? Mm. Well, I was turning 50. That's really the truth of it. I was turning 50 and I just read an article, I think in the Atlantic, that talked about aging in America. And this article said that women who were born in the decade of the 1960s, like I was, were living on average three years longer than their mothers. So my mother had died when she was 84, and that would have put me at 87. But I have to say, those last few years had really looked like sort of a hot mess. So I decided that if I did everything just right, I could live to be 80. You know, I don't really drink, I don't really smoke. I mean, I do eat a little too much cheese, but still, 30 years. And then I did the math. And 30 years meant that I only had 1,560 weeks left to go. It just didn't seem like very much. And I went to bed that night, sort of bummed out about the whole thing. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like a revelation. The best thing happened to me. I realized that it was only April, and my birthday wasn't until August. And I got 17 free weeks. It was sort of like a death row reprieve. And I decided I needed to do something important with those 17 weeks. And as a girl who has always been sort of drunk on book love, I'd always hoped to write a book, and I decided, I wanted to do it before I turned 50. And as luck would have it, I had this cool, funny story sitting on a shelf in my mind, and that's how the book came to be. In fact, like the the business that you were in before moving to Vermont, you were connected to the book. I was. I owned book wholesaling companies. I grew up, you know, as a little kid in libraries and bookstores, and so I have been in love with books my whole life. So having my toe back in the water is very exciting for me. Now, did taking all these experiences and revisiting them and reliving them in the process of writing them... Did that ease the pain a little bit? It did. It did. That's a great way to describe it. It was very cathartic. You know, it was a way of sort of letting cultures go finally, you know, for once and for all. And I sort of believe that life is either about the wonderful or the horrible that's just waiting to be a funny story. And so even when I was in the middle of it, I could sort of see glimmers of how it might become a funny story. And so that's the way I told it. You mentioned, like, as everything is going wrong and trying to find the positive spin on it. I mean, obviously, the whole move to Vermont was part of this idea of, oh, you know, we'll improve our quality of life. We'll come together closer as a family. It'll be fun. And it sounds like the quality of life improved, at least. But All of that happened, actually. I mean, all of that really came true in a funny way, certainly not the way we had planned. But our kids were teenagers, and they had grown up in pretty comfortable, easy circumstances. And so as this thing started to fail sort of miserably and spectacularly and our financial lives were kind of crumbling around us, you know, it was a, it was a really a learning experience for them that they stopped taking things for granted that perhaps they had before and they were terrific. They worked at the store for free. They pitched in. They sort of rallied around us. And I mean, I, I am getting a little teary. Some of the best memories of my life are during those very scary lean years when we would all go for a walk in the woods with the dogs because we had left that sort of mall life behind. And we, we did want to live intentionally closer to the natural world. And we were. And we would have these great walks in the woods and everybody would say, 
And, you know, it was clearly my fault. This was my idea. I was the business person in the family. And there wasn't any sense of blame. They were great. They would say, Mommy, it'll be okay. You'll figure it out. And eventually we did. But it really bonded us in a way that I think if we had not had this hard experience, we wouldn't know each other in the same way that we do. And you mentioned going off for walks in the wood. And you talk in the memoir a bit about how there were a couple of particular spots that you mm. guys eventually found yeah. where you could just sort of break away from everything yeah. that was going on. And the waterfall. My oldest son found it. It's kind of a kid thing. Kids, all teenagers all over Vermont know about it. Lord knows what they get up to up at the, <laughs> the waterfall. But for us, it was a place of renewal. We would go to that waterfall in the morning with a thermos of coffee and we'd, you know, eat croissants and we'd sort of talk about our lives. And, and it was a touchstone. It became something we did very regularly. It was free for one thing and we were going broke. So free was good. It was always beautiful. And it sort of reminded us. It helped keep us really grounded about what mattered and what was really important. And you've stayed in the community even after the store going back. Even after ruining their store. Yeah. <laughs> We have. We, we, I've got to tell you, I love it there. Vermont is the most naturally beautiful place I've ever been. And it is still that. And it's my home. It is the, I love it now. We, we love our home. We love our friends. You know, my best friends weren't people I knew 10 years ago. I can't imagine life without them or life without Vermont. You sold off the store. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And is it a place, I mean, because like there aren't very many places you could go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that the new folks have, have brought it, is it a place that you can go into and yes. not become like incredibly wistful? With great relief, we go into the store. I, I actually do big grocery shopping a town over, but we go into the store often. I was in there last night. It is a, a you know we can walk to the store, so it's very close. It's easy when you're out of milk or to get the Sunday newspaper. And mostly, what I feel when I'm there is just gratitude that somebody else owns it. How has the the community changed in like the 10 years or so that you've been there. It sounds like you were kind of maybe on the forefront of people finding this particular community. Mm. No, there were lots of second homeowners and lots of people from away before we got there. There are very few true Vermonters in our town. Lots of people from Connecticut and New Jersey and New York. That's really sort of the the folks that uh, Dorset has attracted. And yet the Vermonters are all around us. You know, Pollock, Vermont is, you know, when I picked the town, we lived a thousand miles away. And from a thousand miles away, Vermont looked like one happy, hippie little blue state with good ice cream. Up close, it's a little different than that. So I'm not sure that the texture of Dorset has particularly changed so much in the 10 years. It's changed for us, but I'm not sure it's changed for everybody else. It's still a community of a lot of second homeowners, a lot of folks who've moved there from away, and it's still one of the most beautiful uh, New England communities around. You mentioned before, you know, that you love books, and so writing this book was a big, great experience for you. Were there particular memoirs? Or memoirists that you kind of looked up to or looked to as models as you were trying to get your own story. Yeah, lots. Mm-hmm. I love Pam Houston. I loved her early, but her novels are sort of memoir-esque as well. I love the way she writes. I love Sue Hubble, who wrote uh, The Book of Bees in a Country Year about her experience moving to the country. I read a lot of travel lit. And so, mostly I'm a fiction reader, but I also read travel lit. I love Ruth Reichel. I like food lit, and those are sort of memoirs with food as a twist. So there were lots. What's the reaction been like in Dorset now that the book is out, or 
Has there been much of it to do about it? Well, the town, there's one town over is Manchester. And Manchester is where the Northshire Bookstore is, which is one of America's great independent bookstores. And they had a launch party for me, and we had over 125 people show up for that. All very nice, enthusiastic. They tell me that the book is selling wildly there. So I think it has, I've been on the road since it came out. You know, on this book tour, they've got me at 38 spots. Um, Norton had sort of created a monster tour. So I'm not talking to the people in Dorset so much, except that I was at that reading and got, you know, just lots of warm fuzzies from that. Having decided to completely transform your life. Yeah. And then having it blow up or, or shake down the way yeah. that it did. <laughs> I mean, what blow would, up is good. <laughs> what would be your advice to somebody in a similar situation at a turning point in their life where they're like, you know, I just want to change everything around. I want to not be doing the thing that I'm doing and go over there in a place that I'm not now and do something else. And do it. Do it. Do it. Absolutely do it. Our, our lives are so much deeper and richer, I think, as a result of choosing them. We don't live by habit. We don't live in the place that we are from because we've always lived there. And we don't do jobs that we do because it was a job we got a long time ago and we've just stuck with it. We choose our lives pretty intentionally. We pick where we live. We pick the schools our kids go to. We pick the kind of work we want to do. And I think, as and, you know, I screw up as often as I don't in those choices. But I think by making them, by affirmative intending, living with intention and choosing your your path, you get a richer life at the end of it. Although you've obviously learned from a lot of the mistakes mm. that you've made and mm. a lot of the mishaps that you've gone through. I hope so. Are there any particular ones that if you could have avoided Oh. Now you would. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't have bought the store. That's the truth. You know, I was, I had a very romantic sort of notion about what that life would be like, and it was wrong, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So if I could go back and change, I'm not a person who lives with a lot of regret, but that is, you know, I wouldn't have bought the store. Towards the end of your tenure as a, as a store owner, you were, that was basically like a second job, and then you were, mm. you were doing a lot of consulting and, and work that had you on the road. Yep. And it sounds like if you had just done that, and yeah. probably, probably now you are just doing that. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> right. How did I not think of that in the middle? Yeah, exactly. You know, we came to Vermont, and I imagined not wearing a watch. And I imagined this very sort of cozy life. And it didn't include running off to New York to see clients. However, once I made that mental adjustment, I realized I could still have the Vermont life and I could support it in another way. And so that's, in fact, what I wound up doing. So it sounds like what you do now is like coming to New York or Boston or... or, or... Much of it. Most of my clients are, ba are organizations that are based in, in uh, Vermont. I own a fundraising company mm -hmm. and I have fundraisers around New England and New York. And so I also manage them. Uh, my personal client list is in uh, is in Vermont, but their donors are everywhere. And so I travel to see them. And of course, now I have the book tour. So I've added a, another wild card to the mix. But Vermont is now really the home base that you kind of wanted it to be when you were originally moving. You bet. And it doesn't have all the freight. You know, now it is it is purely a place that we love to be. And there's not all of that worry and sort of mashugana that there was when we owned the store. I don't think I could have written the book during those days because those were those days were so fraught. I've written another book since then, and, and Norton just bought that. I'm excited about that. I couldn't have done that if I wasn't sort of at peace in Vermont. Can you talk about what the new book is? Oh, about? I would love to talk about it. 
Thanks. Thanks. Um, it's called Good Grief, and uh, it is coming out from Norton next October. And Good Grief, I haven't talked about it very much, so I have to think about how to describe it to you. It's really more of the same. It's about raising young adult children in Vermont, what that has been like. Good Grief is sort of the moment after, after you say, what next? So it is with humor and lots of experiences with kids with humor. Great. Well, that is something to look forward to. And in the meantime, there is mud season. I've been talking to Ellen Stimson. And I'm Ron Hogan, and you have been listening to Life Stories. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you aren't currently subscribed to it on iTunes, you can subscribe to it on (laughs) iTunes. And I hope that if you do, that you will rate it and review it and then tune back for another episode soon. Thanks so much for listening.